welcome to a Six String Hayride podcast, a journey through the world of classic country music with your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. We will be covering all of the great topics in country music, from mama to prison, to dancing, to drinking, to guitar picking, to all the crazy deal with the devil, honky talking stuff you do on Saturday night and how you try to get it past your Lord on Sunday morning. So climb aboard the cart and let's go. Hello, music lovers. Welcome to the Six String Hayride podcast with Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. Today on the Hayride, we are loading up the cart and we are heading south from what was once the French Illinois, Louisiana Territory. And we are going down the mighty Mississippi River to the cradle itself, Louisiana. You know, if you're going to New Orleans, you ought to go see the mighty girl. You know, if you're going to New Orleans, you ought to go see the mighty girl. You know, when you see the mighty girl, somebody will tell you what's kind of move So get your tickets in your way if you want to go to New Orleans. Get your tickets and your way You wanna go to New Orleans You know when you get to New Orleans Somebody'll show you the Zulu King We're coming up on Mardi Gras Which is known by a lot of names Depending on where you are on the planet And what your point of view of celebrating is it's Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. It can be Carnival in Brazil and Louisiana and lots of other places. Uh, up here in the Midwest, in Chicago and in Milwaukee, it is Fat Tuesday, or as our Polish communities like to call it, Punchki Day. Uh, here in Chicago, Tuesday morning, you are going to see folks lining up at seven eight o'clock in the morning at some of the wonderful polish bakeries around here to get a punchki uh, don't even try to spell it because it nowhere near how it sounds uh, but a punchki is basically this wonderful round ball of flour and dough and powdered sugar and inside of it you can have apricots you can have strawberries you can have raspberries you can have chocolate uh, this is a wonderful time of year because we're halfway through the winter is marked by early February. Uh, also take a pause to remember Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and Richie Valens. But yeah, we've just passed up Groundhog Day or Imbolic, uh, James Joyce's birthday. We're halfway through winter, folks. So to celebrate, a lot of the major religions on the planet 
give up fun things for a certain amount of time. Uh, for the Christian world, we have Lent coming up. Um, in the Muslim world, we have Ramadan coming up. It's a little bit later. It's more March. But this is a time to fast and reflect a little bit and get ready for spring. Kind of get your house in order spiritually and maybe shed a few pounds along the way. But before all of that praying and giving up starts, it is one last mighty bash. And here in the continental U.S., I think, you know, yeah, Punchki Day is great. It's a lot of fun. But really the best way to go for this celebration at this time of year is head down the mighty Mississippi, go to Louisiana, and indulge in any of the different variations of Mardi Gras or Carnival. Uh, we have a good friend in New Orleans, and for the last month, every day she's been going to different bakeries around town and buying what's called king cake. Uh, it's incredibly good. It has the traditional purple, green, and gold uh, sugar top across it. And inside, the tradition is that there's a little plastic figure of a baby. And if you find the baby, that's lucky. You get a wish. You win. You get the cake and the baby, too. In other parts of the state, depending on if you're in a city or in a more rural area, you can have incredible uh, marching bands going down the street. You have parades. You have floats. You have, it's almost, think of like West Side Story with the dance contest back and forth. It's really that kind of vibe. And in fact, one of the defining songs of the New Orleans scene, something that's been covered by everybody from the Dixie Cups to Dr. John to the Grateful Dead, the Neville Brothers, certainly, uh, Ico Ico is really just a song about two groups of parade goers running into each other as they go through the neighborhood.
And it's the exchange that happens between, you know, them in that moment where the two parades run into each other. In some of the rural areas, you can have the parades and the marching bands and the brass sections like you do in the city, but you also get some really unique, unusual stuff up to and including guys chasing chickens around as part of the festivities. And then when you catch the chicken, well, you have a pretty good sense of what's coming up for the next meal in your life. Uh, but yeah, the, the variety of the cultural point of view and the way the celebrations manifest themselves, it is fantastic. And it's really so vast that, you know, Chris and I would be looking at doing something like those Ken Burns films. And we're not really in a position to give you 90 minutes once a week for six weeks. What we'd like to do with this episode is take you down river, give you an overview of the ethnic, the cultural, the musical traditions, not just in New Orleans, but around Louisiana. And hopefully we've caught you just enough that aside from you getting hungry and tapping your foot a bit to that exceptional beat down there, we want to lead you down one of Chris's famous rabbit holes. So we're trying to give you just enough that you're entertained and you're enjoying the usual ride with us, but hit the Google, hit the YouTube. If you can book a trip to travel down there at some point in your life. Riding on the city of New Orleans, Illinois Central Monday morning rail. There are 15 cars and 15 restless riders, three conductors and 25 sacks of mail. But we're trying to start you on a journey, kind of nudge you into the riverboat a little bit and get you moving. With all that in mind, let's really start at the beginning of the story. And here at the Hayride, this is kind of fun for us. We're both history dorks in a lot of ways, but we also get to play one of our favorite all-time games here on the Hayride, Blame England. So our story begins in the early 1600s when you have French explorers and settlers coming into the North American continent. And really, you know, if you look around the United States today, separate from Alaska and Hawaii and Puerto Rico and Guam, but on the main 48, you can look around and you still see the places where there was a hard British influence. We call a place New England, New York, New Jersey. We carry those names uh, with us, Jamestown. Um, out west and in the southwest, we have our Spanish influence remains, San Diego, Los Angeles, those place names all come from that cultural heritage. And the other third that made up the kind of ethnic and cultural foundation of early North American history is the French. You know, I think the English were really the only group that were sort of concentrated in one area and could go back and forth easily enough. 
the Spanish were spread out from places like Florida all the way to places like California, it's hard to maintain empire or colonies when they're not all closely grouped together. If you've ever played the board game Risk, you already have a really good idea of what we're talking about. So the problem that the French had in the early 1600s is they have an incredibly solid and well-developed community in what is now the state of Maine and what is the maritime provinces in Canada, uh, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, uh, that corner of Canada. And that French influence extends into Quebec. It, we all at this point are well familiar enough with Canada that Quebec and the city of Montreal, beautiful city, oddly enough, incredible Jewish delis all over the place, go to Schwartz's. Um, but that's still a real bastion of French culture. When you're in Canada, you still get public signs that are in English and in French. And in some places in Quebec, you get the French first and the English second. And if you have ever been a hockey fan at any point in your life, I all I have to say is Montreal, and you are even running at that point on your own. The other French territories are what is now the lower Lake Michigan region, Illinois, Indiana. They go a little bit west to Missouri. It winds from Chicago. Now you go through St. Louis. But then the main concentration of French influence at this point, again, we're talking the 1600s, is Louisiana. That's an obvious one. King Louis. Oh, what do we name it? Oh, we name it after the boss. Okay. It's good to be the king. Through the late 1600s, this area in the northeast corner, Acadia, it comes from the Greek Arcadia, which means idyllic place. The English start to attack, invade, conquer this area more and more. The English have already sussed out that the St. Lawrence River is a way to get into the Great Lakes region, which is a way to get into the Mississippi River region. And at this point in history, the English were known for their navy and for their boats. They were looking at economy, commerce, and influence. And unlike the French, with scattered territories, England was trying to line everything up and have it water accessible. That was just the way they did things. And they did it well and got away with it for a very long time. And we built up empires. We stole countries. That's what you do. That's how you build an empire. We stole countries with the cunning use of flags. Yeah. <laughs> you just sail around the world and stick a flag in. As they start to take territory away from the French, this is mostly in northeastern Canada and in the part of the United States that we 
still call New England, the French are kind of on the move. And we get to a period in the 1700s that the French refer to as the Great Expulsion. They signed a treaty and our homes were taken. Loved ones forsaken, they didn't give a damn. Try to raise a family, end up the enemy. Over what went down on the plains of Abraham. Acadian driftwood, gypsy tailwind. They call my home the land of snow. Canadian cold front, golden end. What a way to ride, oh, what a way to go. And this is maybe in the 25. 30 years before the American colonies rebel. So England's having a real tough time negotiating the indigenous North American people, their ongoing battles with the French. And just as they think they have all that sorted out, then Washington and Ben Franklin and those guys are like, eh, hold on a second. The Battle of Yorktown. 1781. Monsieur Hamilton. Monsieur Lafayette. In command where you belong. Are you saying no sweat? We're finally on the field. We've had quite a run. Immigrants. We get the job done. So what happens if we win? I go back to France. I bring freedom to my people if I'm given the chance. We'll be with you when you do. Go lead your men. I'll see you on the other side. Till we meet again. So the great expulsion, mid-1700s. The French are on the move, and the majority of them wind up in the South, in what is now Alabama and Louisiana. That Acadian influence is the beginning of what we now call the Cajun influence. And, and about this great expulsion thing, it's there are a lot of countries that can look back to England and say, oh, yeah, my people had this period in our history where a bunch of us died, a bunch of us had to flee the country. And this happens with the Acadians, you know, in the northeastern corner of North America. It happens with the Irish during the potato famine. But yeah, blame England. If something went wrong for your ancestors and a lot of them died or fled, when you get all of these kind of French-Canadian types come into Louisiana, they bring fiddle music Other ingredient comes from entirely opposite direction. France also has territories in Africa and in the Caribbean. And as those folks start to come across and wind up in Louisiana, you know, again, water connected. You leave Africa, you go through the Indies and the Caribbean territories, you wind up in the Gulf of Mexico, you're in Louisiana. That's the Creole influence. One of the similarities all the way around here is Catholicism, but poor difference. 
and, and again, this is a bit of a generalization, but most historians will tell you that the core difference is Cajun coming from the Northeastern and Canadian French, French influence and the Creole coming by way of Africa through the Indies and into Louisiana that way. We see, you know, again, these broad cultural uh, categories. The folks from the Northeast are, are mainly what becomes the Cajun named influence. The folks that come, you know, from Africa, from the French colonies there, and, and that is the beginning of what becomes the, the Creole designated influence. That Creole influence gives you more of the heavy percussion. It gives you those African rhythms, those East Indies rhythms. It's a lot more complex in, in the rhythmic structure. The music that we get coming from the Canadian and the American Northeast, what becomes the Cajun stuff, that's more, you know, if you think about it, it's more of a European influence. So instead of rhythm, you're going to get melody. You're going to get the fiddle, and you're going to get a bit of accordion. And I'm getting ahead a little bit here. But it's not until the 1900s that accordions imported from Germany really have their big influence on Cajun music because previously the accordion, you know, it's portable, it is loud, it's like a fiddle in that way, it's great in dance halls, it cuts right through everything. But the standard tuning for accordions for a long time was not compatible with the open string tuning on a fiddle. So when we get into the early to mid-1900s, the Germans are importing accordions that are tuned in C and in D. And those keys are incredibly compatible with fiddle music, with country music, with blues music. And just what winds up being straight up rock and roll. So, you know, again, Cajun in a broad sense, please think mostly you're coming from France through to northeastern Canada and Maine, and you're coming down the Mississippi to Louisiana. The Creole, by way of Africa through the East Indies, more island hopping, a lot more water to cover. It's not the river journey with cities along the way. It's the ocean journey. It's much more difficult and perilous. And that's the rhythmic influence that comes into Louisiana. And again, there is a lot of overlap between these cultures and the way that they're expressed in the arts and in cooking. But to the folks who live there, it's their heritage, it's their history, and the distinctions that are important to them are well-made. So when you are lucky enough to go down there and have a look around and travel and listen and learn, keep that in mind, that 
you know, and I think this is true traveling anywhere. You have the broad sense of the place and the people and, and what you hope you get out of your traveling. And then you have the things that really matter deeply to the folks who live there. So it's a great opportunity to learn and have at it. it seriously, folks, try to get down there. Uh, the coffee and the pastries at Cafe Du excellent. Food all around Louisiana, excellent. If you're one of those folks who talks about really, you know, wanting to preserve and celebrate Southern United States culture, don't do it with that stupid flag. Go to Louisiana and celebrate the music, the food, learn about the differences and the cultural distinctions. And, you know, if you want to do something really active, look into all the different needs that preserving the environmental resources, the Mississippi Basin, the farmland, the places that have been damaged by flooding. And if you really want to celebrate the South, Louisiana is a place to go because what you can learn there and what you can contribute there, those things are almost limitless and incredibly worth it in our opinion here at the Hayride. We took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. We took a little bacon and we took a little beans and we caught the bloody British in a town in New Orleans. We fired our guns and the British kept a coming. There wasn't as many as there was a while ago. We fired once more and they began to run it on down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Let's kind of set the history and the chalkboard aside here and let's start to get more into the music. We want to talk about some of the really key kind of core musicians around the area. We want to make some of the distinctions between Cajun and Creole, and then what becomes Zydeco music uh, because of the brain and the heart and the soul and those accordion playing hands of the great Clifton Chenier. So we're going to try to give you a little bit of all of that. And as I mentioned, Chris and I are coming from the north and working our way south. So before we get to New Orleans, we're going to stop in Lafayette. Ma 
in Lafayette, we're going to find a woman named Joe Walston from Texas, who is one of the finest singers you will come across in this day and age. I want to make everybody happy, but I've got to be happy first. So if you want to see me at my best, if you want to see me shine, just go and get me what I want and I'll be feeling fine. I need a tall boy in front of me tonight. I want me a tall Honky Tonk, Country, Ballads, some cool rock and roll covers, an exceptional singer. I'm going down, 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 going down, down, down. Got nobody to love me now. I'm sorrow bound, bound, bound. Since you left this town, since you left, I'm going down, down, down. I never thought my life would be so lonely. I never thought my And um, her husband, her musical partner, Dean Shoblowski, who has a history coming from Milwaukee and then into the punk rock scene in Chicago, and he eventually becomes a founding member of the fantastic Waco Brothers. We met in one of them small town bars, so quaint it don't seem real. We bonded over whiskey, but tequila sealed the deal. Though I lean lefty, and I don't just mean for sale, I'm in love with a red state girl. Country, a little bit of punk rock, a lot of Americana. Those guys are fantastic. Go see them. So Dean and Joe have found themselves in Lafayette and they have put out an amazing debut album that we reviewed on the show a while back. They have been great friends to us in terms of information and and music and just, you know, any way that they can help us out and talk a little music. They're right there. We thank them. Uh, Their website will have a link on our Facebook page, but check out Dean Slobowski music and you can buy their records. You can look for gigs that either they do as a pair or Dean solo shows or Waco brothers shows. There's a lot of those around Chicago. Um, check these guys out. It's really, really worth the stop in Lafayette.
people they're meeting down there and the kind of bars they're playing in and the different artists they're meeting, Lafayette is alive and thriving with music, with food, with everything you would associate with the larger city in New Orleans. Go to Lafayette and please listen to Dino and Joe. It's a great album, self-titled debut. Uh, It's one of many great musical stops to make in Louisiana. So now we're in New Orleans. We got there. We made it. What do we do? We want to start to check out, well, first of all, before it gets to be Fat Tuesday, hit as many of the bakeries as you can, eat as much of the king cake as your belly can tolerate. But let's talk about some of the people that have really come to define the music of the city some of the folks that we all know and love. And I know that this isn't straight up our usual classic solid country and rockabilly, but here at the Hayride, Chris and I really promote that idea that it's all just one big song. So if you look at these folks, if you talk to Irma Thomas, Fats Domino, Aaron Neville, Dr. John, the common element here that they have with the Carters and with Jimmy Rogers and with Hank Williams, you're going to hear that same story. I learned how to sing in church. And I heard a lot of African and black music coming through my church community. And then every Saturday night, the family gathered around the radio and listened to, you can all say it with me, the Grand Ole Opry. Now, Jim gave a pretty good accounting of the buildup of the musical heritage that we're going to talk about. And music is very deeply rooted within Louisiana as a whole, but then much more deeply within the city of New Orleans itself. And if you think about the fact that New Orleans is one of the more important you know, hubs of commerce and trading in the region. It's just a natural cultural evolution. This is the same reason that we get a band like the Beatles coming out of Liverpool. It's a seaport. Everything comes in, everything goes out. It makes an incredible amalgamation of things that becomes bigger than the whole of its parts. So this is the American version of that. That's why you get all these unique styles and influences that meld into this melting pot of musical history. Now, today, we're mostly going to be focusing on classic stars, but we should note that some more modern performers, such as uh, Wynton Marsalis, Britney Spears, and Master P are from the area as well. So we're talking about, again, a very diverse and eclectic collection of musical heritage. Uh, There's other artists that we did have to leave off of the main part of the discussion just due to time constraints, but we do want to give them a brief mention. And that would include legends such as Ferdinand Joseph Lamont, who's better known as Jelly Roll Morton. 
Lead Belly. Many listeners are likely familiar with Lead Belly, uh, who was born Huddy Ledbetter. But did you know that this? Look, look yonder, where the sun done gone. Oh, Black Betty, Bambalam, oh, Black Betty, Bambalam, Black Betty had a baby, Bambalam, Black Betty had a baby. Originated with Lead Belly. Uh, of course, the city itself is immortalized in the country hit The Battle of New Orleans, written by history teacher Jimmy Driftwood and made famous by Johnny Horton. Old Hickory said we could take them by surprise If we didn't fire muskets till we looked them in the eye We held our fire till we see their faces well Then we opened up our squirrel guns and really gave them well We fired our guns and the British kept coming There wasn't as many as there was a while ago We fired once more and they began to run it well, Down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico uh, The song was voted the number one song of the year, 1959, by Billboard So. Hopefully the listeners will at least have some knowledge of the area we're discussing. Uh, like Jim said, you should really go down the historical rabbit hole. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. But now let's take you down the musical rabbit hole. We're going to discuss Doug Kershaw. We're going to discuss Fats Domino. talk about Louis Armstrong. I tried so hard, my dear, to show that you my every dream. Yet you afraid each things I do just some evil scheme A memory from your lonesome past Keeps us so far apart Why can't I free your doubtful mind 
The Preservation Hall Jazz Band. The Neville Brothers. Irma Thomas. You can have my husband, but please don't mess with my man. You can have my husband, but please don't mess with my man. I'm telling all you women, I want you all to understand. And of course, no discussion of Louisiana music would be complete without the exquisite Dr. John. So, folks, Cajun, Frio, Zydeco, country, western, waltz time, the two-beat, four-four time, it, Chris and I are fond of saying it's all one song. Can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? A tradition of the epiphany leading into the Lenten season representing the three wise men uh, I believe to the to New Orleans was brought over 
uh, from France in around the 1870s. We know it looks delicious. So what's, it is. What, tell us what it is. Kind of a donut, maybe? Yeah, it's a cross between a, a cinnamon coffee cake mm -hmm. or a French pastry, basically. And in South Louisiana, they do vary. They do vary around the world, uh, particularly what I'm fond of and where I'm from, uh, Lafayette, uh, Louisiana, is the donut style, like a big stuffed yeah. donut. Mm -hmm. And the stuffings do vary, many different types of stuffings as well. All right, we've got to talk about this guy. <laughs> Right little plastic baby. That. There's a little baby we saw here. Let's see. Lift, lift him. Yeah, lift, lift, him. lift the baby. There it is. A little baby. Yeah. Hello. Why, why is there a baby? You, oftentimes the baby is baked into the cake, right? Absolutely, yes. Why? It is. It, to, um, to basically, if you find the baby inside the cake, you're responsible for bringing the next king cake to your next party ah. or your next event. Or you are responsible for hosting the party. This time I'm walking to New Orleans. I'm walking to New Orleans. I'm gonna need to parachute when I get through walking these blues. When I get back to New Orleans. Fats Domino, born February 26, 1928. He passes away October 24th of 2017. He is born Antoine Dominique Domino Jr. He's named after his father. He's born in New Orleans to a Creole family, French descent. Domino takes up the piano as a kid, mostly you know, similar to a lot of other musicians. He's really shy. He's kind of modest. He keeps to himself. You hear this sort of thing a lot in the childhoods of uh, musicians and of actors. Eventually, Domino becomes really one of the founding fathers in rock and roll. And that rolling piano style of his, um, think of the old Lloyd Price record, Laudie Miss Claudie. That's the Fats Domino piano style. And then, of course, there's his own music his signature song he didn't write it but his signature song blueberry hill and that song is so deeply embedded in american culture that you know just about everybody has done it everybody knows the song and i'm not sure why but that notion that color blue in popular music in america blue moon blue suede shoes Blueberry Hill. Blue's really one of the colors of music when it comes to, you know, songwriting. Maybe it's good word, you know, in terms of rhyme schemes. I don't know, but it turns up a lot in Blue Moon of Kentucky. You know, and all those songs are just fantastic. This is just the tip of the Fats Domino iceberg. The guy was just amazing.
the fat man is sometimes mentioned as a possible candidate for the first rock and roll song, but Domino himself never made that argument. He chose to make this comment in 1956, uh, seven years after the song's release. He said, quote, what they call rock and roll is rhythm and blues, and I've been playing it for 15 years in New Orleans. From Fats, we also get Ain't That a Shame. You made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. Domino is one of the first group of folks inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. Over his career, he sells more than 110 million records. He has a huge hit in 1956 with a cover version of a Vincent Rose song written in 1940 called Blueberry Hill. This is a song again 1940 vincent rose but we've had incredible versions of this over the year just it's a great song to cover it's a wonderful melody it's got a great rhythm to it and you know it's a great song by the artists who have covered it and also the flexibility of it and this is a melody that is so finely put together You can use it as a lesson workbook exercise for basic old ukulele playing sitting on your living room floor. And then you put it in the hands of Glenn Miller, Gene Autry, Louis Armstrong, Elvis Presley, Little Richard. And then again, in 1956, the man himself, Fats Domino, just claims ownership of this song. Oh, 
So we should point out that Fats did cross over into country at times, uh, most notably with his performance of Whiskey Heaven. Every afternoon when I wake up, I say a little prayer and drink up, and thanks the Lord for driving me home once more. There's an open Bible on the table And an empty bottle on the floor Last night I thought I died and went to whiskey Which isn't a Clint Eastwood film any which way you can. Uh, showing his versatility in 1986, Domino is among the first inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, really, he's in all kinds of halls of fame. And I, I guess I'm not really sure if I've ever gone on the record with this stance, but anybody who cares about Hall of Fame induction, I don't care. Warren Zevon is one of the greatest musicians to ever walk the face of the earth. He was an exquisite songwriter, an incredible performer, and a decent musician, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. So who cares about the Hall of Fame? But it should be pointed out that Fats was among the first here. Uh, in 1995, he becomes one of the earlier examples that I could find of something that seems more common these days. And that is that he plays his last tour. He goes out on the road in Europe for three weeks. And then he decides he doesn't want to play, you know, out of his own backyard anymore. So essentially, he just starts playing in, around, in and around New Orleans and does not travel any longer. Going home tomorrow Can't stand your evil way Going home tomorrow Can't stand your evil way When you're around me So from Fats Domino, we're going to move on and we're going to gonna shift from piano to trumpet here. Uh, this is a man who really changed the face of American music and was a huge jazz pioneer early on. This is the man that Miles Davis would say was his favorite trumpet player. It is the great Louis Armstrong. Sisters and brothers, this is Reverend Satchmo getting ready to beat out this mellow sermon for you. My text this evening is when the saints go marching in. Here come brother, he can bottom down the aisle with his trombone. Blow it, boy. (laughs) ¶¶ 
cats The walls and floors are crumbling Hills are popping Hills are popping Hills are popping The whole gang's whooping up whoop de day Mmm, say Seabone Lovers say that in France When they thrill to romance It means that it's so good Oh, say Seabone So I say it to you Armstrong himself has said on occasion that he was born on the 4th of July in 1900. Don't know if that's true or not. He would say it, so okay, fair play to Louie. It's his life. Um, but, you know, if you're in showbiz and Armstrong is kind of one of those early, more visual, flamboyant, active entertainers, he's a guy that was very much an influence on Little Richard. Um, so saying you're born on the 4th of July in 1900, it has a little more pizzazz to it than... I was born in the summer of 1901 in my parents' house, and they were born. Louis raised by his grandmother in his early years, until he's about five or six. And then he goes back to New Orleans. Uh, he's at a school for boys along Rampart Street. And he's, you know, like a lot of kids of his time, he's low income. Um, the family isn't together all the time. And he is subjected to a very segregated school system, you know, as most African-Americans are in Louisiana in the early 1900s. Armstrong starts playing trumpet in the 19-teens. He's a young man. He's a teenager. Uh, you know, like a lot of teenagers, you get interested in music, you pick up an instrument. Armstrong goes for the trumpet. And he gets work on riverboats and tour boats around 1918, 1919, uh, going up and down the Mississippi River. Uh, so in the early 1920s, Armstrong comes to Chicago. Uh, King Oliver has been up here. He's been successful. He brings Armstrong up and sponsors him. And the way that a black musician is treated in the 1920s in Chicago, it's not perfect. It's not right most of the time, but it's a hell of a lot better than Louisiana. And the two men, King Oliver and Armstrong, they develop a reputation around Chicago. They do a lot of shows. Um, Armstrong begins this thing that he does throughout most of his adult life once he's out of Louisiana, and he becomes well-known to his friends and family as a letter writer. Now, I would hope that somewhere out there, some of these have been published. I think it would be fascinating. In 1924, he marries Lil Hardin. And he's the force in his life that really motivates him and influences him to take yet another leap in his career and to move away from his partnership with King Oliver. So Armstrong is still playing jazz. He's still playing dance music, but he begins to play classical music and he plays in churches 
and he starts to dress up more. She gets him into the suits and the tuxedos, and he moves further and further away from King Oliver, and he becomes you know, more well-rounded. Again, he's playing classical pieces. He's still playing dance music. He gets away from these small trios and quartets and quintets, and he starts playing with larger bands, uh, most notably the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra. He does go to New York. He leaves Chicago for a while, and he starts to play with a musical show uh, called Hot Chocolates. And that's where he hooks up with the piano player. We just talked about him influencing Fats Domino. Louis Armstrong and Fats Waller start to play together for a period. Uh, Armstrong would play trumpet. He would make cameos as kind of a vocalist. He did a wonderful version, and this would last through his career, but uh, the singing, the way that he would get into performing a song called Ain't Misbehavin', uh, it became a big selling record for him in the 1930s. And he keeps touring well into his 60s. Uh, he, and this is another innovative and a little bit controversial thing, but in the late 1960s, he does go to play in Eastern Europe in some of the Soviet-influenced countries. He continues to tour in Africa. He gets the sponsorship of the U.S. State Department. He inspires Dave Brubeck to compose the musical The Real Ambassadors. By the time we get to the late 60s, Louis is getting close to 70 years old. His health is declining. It's mostly heart issues and kidney issues. He stops touring. And then he kind of comes back in the early 1970s, 1970-71. He resumes some live performance. He goes out on another tour. Then he has a heart attack. He really tried to avoid problems with alcohol, and he was well noted in interviews he would say you know that he was a cannabis user and it was a thousand times better than whiskey the other issues um, that he had with his heart you know and with his weight uh, was food issues you know this is a guy that records songs like cheesecake and coronet chop suey and strutting with some barbecue and he did uh, louis armstrong you know, despite living in Chicago and New York and then back to Chicago, the food and the cooking of New Orleans was always with him. And he was famous for signing his letters and some of his sketches and, and other writings. He would always sign off saying, Red Beans and Ricely Yours, Louis Armstrong. I see trees of green 
Folks, now let's talk about the Louisiana man himself, Doug Kershaw. He jumps in his bureau, headed down a bite. Oh, he's got fish in line, trung across the Louisiana River. Gotta catch a big fish for us to eat. He's setting traps in the swamp, catching anything he can. Gotta make a living, he's a Louisiana man. Gotta make a living, he's a Louisiana man. Born January 24th of 1936, Doug spends the first part of his musical and recording career as half of the duet Rusty and Doug with his brother, Rusty Kershaw. Uh, they're really his most well-known hit is most likely Louisiana man, which has been covered literally by several hundred people over the years. Uh, we could do one of Jim's famous medleys here and just do a medley of nothing but different versions of that song, and we'd be here for a month. It would be our longest episode, bar none. We sure did. Hey, remember when we were in Japan, we uh, we learned that song, Louisiana Man? Louisiana Man. Right. In Japan. Yeah. I guess we must have been homesick. Right. You want to do it right now? Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow Papa's gonna turn them into mud Well they call Mama Rita and my Daddy Jack A little baby brother on the floor that's Mike Brent and Lynn are the family twins Big brother Ed's on the bio so as a duo, the brothers put out such sides as Diggy Liggy Low. Here's a guy who speaks well for Cajun country, the Louisiana man himself, Mr. Doug Kershaw. In 1964, the brothers split up and they do go their separate ways. Uh, Doug definitely goes on to the much bigger stardom with his solo career. But Rusty does make his mark on the wider musical world, 
uh, by serving as the producer of Neil Young's 1974 album on the beach. Uh, in my mind, that's definitely the biggest kudo that either of them have individually, but there's no doubt that Doug had and continues to have the much larger of the two solo careers. Uh, as a matter of fact, in 1969, Doug makes his first appearance on network TV with an appearance on the first episode of the Johnny Cash show. Here's an estimate that means different things to different people. You ask one person and he might say it's a violin. Another will say it's a fiddle. Well, down in the Bayou country of Louisiana, the Cajun people knew the fiddle and made it speak their language. I want you to meet a friend of mine who's been a friend for a long time that knows the bayou and knows the fiddle. He plays 28 other musical instruments, and he knows them all like he knows his own head. Welcome, my friend, the Louisiana man, Mr. Doug Kershaw. <laughs> His performance on the Johnny Cash show launches him to the wider world of music fans than his prior career with Rusty had, uh, which is ironic because he had already sold several million records by this time. Now that this audience of rock and pop bands are starting to familiarize themselves with Doug, uh, suddenly you have him sitting in with the Rolling Stones in 1974 in Dallas. Uh, you have him playing with Emmylou Harris at time. Uh, and for those who might be wondering about the name, yes, uh, Sammy Kershaw is Doug's third cousin. And why is Sammy Kershaw important to the Hayride? Well, as we mentioned way back in episode one, Sammy's song, Queen of My Double Wide, is where Earl makes his first appearance before we eventually say goodbye, Earl. Kershaw struggled with depression issues through a lot of his adult life. His father had committed suicide when Doug was only seven years old. Uh, Kershaw gets married in the mid-70s, and he winds up having five sons. And as he's adjusting to married life and his kids are being born, that's when he kind of gets his life together. Uh, in 1988, he works with Hank Williams Jr., and they record a duet called Cajun Baby. That becomes a top 50 hit. And then he releases a French-language album, Two-Step Fever, that harkens back to his childhood Louisiana heritage. And in 2009, he's put into the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame. And he, like Chris said earlier, we talk about these Hall of Fame things every once in a while. They come up. It's, it's fun to watch some of these uh, things on TV because you get to see a lot of musicians you really like interact and play together, and that's always fun. But I think Chris's point is right uh, that eh, in the long run who cares i think i would look at it this way not too many people care about a hall of fame until you get invited to be in one well folks this brings us to the soul queen of new orleans the fabulous irma thomas the
February 18th, 1941. Happy birthday, Irma. Uh, Irma is a peer. She's keeping and, and recording in the same era as Aretha Franklin and Etta James, but she doesn't quite you know, get to that level of popular success. Um, she is the daughter of Percy, who's a steel worker, and I kid you not, her mom's first name was Vader. And she was a housekeeper. She was a maid, which was typical at this time in Louisiana, again, 1940s. By the time that Irma was 19, she had already been married twice and had four children. So you want to sing the blues, you want to sing soul music, you want to sing from the heart. And, you know, they always tell writing students, write what you know. Well, by the time she's 19, she has four kids. She's had two husbands. She is singing what she knows. Uh, Thomas is her second ex-husband's surname. She worked as a waitress for a while around New Orleans, and she got hooked up with a band leader named Tommy Ridgely, and he helps her get a local record deal. Her first single is called Don't Mess With My Man. It's 25 on the u.s uh on the billboard r&b chart so she starts recording uh she's working with a producer and songwriter alan toussaint so that's really an excellent place to start um and she records you know through the 50s 60s she has a hit with a record called anyone who knows what love is will understand and the writer on that, the composer on that track, is a young Randy Newman. Who... Anyone? 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 
She's still performing through recent years. In 2021, uh, he was part of you know the annual lineup at the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Uh, of course, they had some COVID cancellations, and that broke her live performance run for a while. She has reigned as the queen of the Cru de Vue for the 1998 New Orleans Mardi Gras uh, parade. This was outside of New Orleans. Uh, it still keeps a home in the New Orleans area. In 2007, she is inducted into the Louisiana Hall of Fame. And again, it's not fun till you get there. Take a look at this heart. It's the one I'm going to use to love you. Take a look at these arms They're the arms I'm gonna use to hug you Look at these eyes These are the eyes That will haunt you People continue, you know, to refer to her as the soul queen of New Orleans This is, you know, right up your alley. Larry Bornstein, art dealer from Milwaukee, and he manages the the hall itself. Preservation Hall is an art gallery. And then when Alan Jaffe and his tuba show up uh, and Jaffe's wife, Sandra, and her business sense, you know, when they're on the scene, then you get the place, you know, as an arts venue. Uh, it's not just the, the paintings. And the art gallery thing, now all of a sudden you get music, you know, you get singing, it just kind of comes alive. And uh, it's, you know, Mr. Bornstein from Milwaukee. What a nice guy. Yeah, so in 1963, the band is formed. Uh, again, you mentioned Larry Bornstein from Milwaukee, who's managing uh, Preservation Hall itself. Uh, he is trying to attract customers, so he invited some local musicians to play. Eventually, this idea just takes off and it, it morphs into the proper Preservation Hall jazz band. You know, this is one of the amalgamated bands out there where the members have changed over the years due to retirements and deaths, but the band itself continues to go strong. 
Uh, this is one of the last big swing jazz, big band sounding acts that's out there. And I would tell everybody, you know, who can hear my voice right now, if you get the chance, go see this band. The musicians are absolute craftsmen. mentioning through this whole discussion of you know melting pot different influences coming together and you get a little bit of this and throw in a little spice and a little bit of that one of the finest musical and physical manifestations of, of that wacky melting pot idea is malcolm john rebenak jr dr john Everybody get around me while I testify. I feel the someone coming on me, and the topic will be seen. That's what I'm again. If you wanna hear my story. Then just chill out, don't be uptight. Born November 20th of 1941, left this earth on June 6th of 2019. It, Dr. John, he comes from a family that's Irish, Spanish, and French heritage. So that's, you know, perfect sense for his part of Louisiana. And then when you look at the guy, and he was, you know, before David Bowie, before Freddie Mercury, before those goofballs and Kiss, just the visual thing that he brought to live music performance, he was really into the theatrical nature inspired by the old medicine and minstrel shows, by Mardi Gras costumes, and by voodoo. In 1973, he kind of mixes... New Orleans funk and soul and R&B and radio-friendly rock and roll, and he has this huge hit with a record called Right Place, Wrong Time. We 
we've all probably heard it at some point in life. It's a fantastic record. So Malcolm John Jr., Dr. John, he's born in 1941, and his dad runs an appliance shop. He fixes radios, he fixes televisions, and he sells records. And this is in the Third Ward area of New Orleans. So Dr. John, you know, he's encouraged and he's around music right from the get-go because of his dad's work. When John is 13 years old, he meets Professor Longhair, an extraordinary Louisiana legend, piano player. Um, and Professor Longhair, you know, even way before Dr. John, he's doing the really visual live music presentation, flamboyant, physical, colorful. And, you know, John just picks up on that right away. He gets a job when he's about 15, 16 years old, working as a staff musician at Aladdin Records. He goes out to L.A., California, looking for a fresh start. And he becomes one of the kind of first call or A-team type Los Angeles guys as a piano player. And he's one of the piano guys in what's known as the Wrecking Crew. That's an extraordinary group of musicians studio musicians in LA during this time. If you think about the girl group records, the Phil Spector records, the Ronettes, um, and later on the work with Brian Wilson, especially Pet Sounds, the Wrecking Crew is very much the Los Angeles version of our good old friends, the A-Team from Nashville in the 1950s. When Rebenack is kind of starting his, his own solo career and, and now moving beyond this is the late 60s. He's moving beyond being a studio player. Um, he creates an alter ego stage persona called Dr. John. And he is a conjurer, spiritual healer, a voodoo guy. Uh, he is spooky and mysterious, and he's a hell of a musician. In 1968, his first solo album, proper solo album, comes out with this Dr. John character. Uh, sometimes called Dr. John the Night Tripper. Such a night. You're such a night. Sweet confusion under the moonlight. Such a Uh, Rolling Stone and their lists, which we know and love, uh, has it at number 143 on their 500 greatest albums. It is a fantastic album. And he just quickly comes right back with Babylon in 1969 and then Remedies in 1970. Uh, he's on the road constantly. You know, he's one of those guys where I'm going to build my audience. I'm going to build my audience. I'm just going to stay out there and keep playing. And he's got a pretty good cult following in the early to mid-70s. And it turns out that two of his big supporters are Eric Clapton and Mick Jagger. And they come looking for him to volunteer and join in on sessions for an album called The Sun, The Moon, and Herbs. If you 
yourself free And no difference between nothing as long as we all living in the same eternity And then after that is an album called Dr. John's Gumbo And that's notable because he's getting away from the Night Tripper psychedelic music of those first three, four records. And he's getting more into the straight kind of dirty country, funky stuff that he's really become known for over the years. Gone back home, G9 days to the land of the beautiful queen. Gone back home to my baby, going back to New Orleans. So in the early 70s, we get a record called Gumbo, and then there's a huge hit with Right Place, Wrong Time. And then he has a follow-up hit with his version. And this is one of those kind of national anthems of New Orleans music with the old Dixie Cups track. Ico Ico. John, you know, just extraordinary overall musician. Uh, after the right place, wrong time period in the early 70s, is kind of transitioning in the mid to later 70s, he starts working with an incredible, oh, there we are again, Hall of Fame songwriter, uh, the great Doc Thomas. And they do City Lights, they do Tango Palace, uh, they write and produce tracks for B.B. King. In 1982, John wins a Grammy for Best Traditional Recording. Uh, he puts out a record called I'm on a Roll. Dr. John winds up working with a variety of people. Uh, Dylan, the band, Los Lobos, Roseanne Cass, and everybody loves this guy. Dr. John just kind of becomes an institution through the 80s and 90s. He turns up all over the place. Uh, jazz festivals in Europe, uh, funk and rock and roll, and certainly you know country festivals in the South and around the United States. He produces Van Morrison album, A Period of Transition in the late 70s. 
He's the co-writer uh, for Washerwoman, The Ties That Bind, and That's My Home. So, you know, pretty solid collaboration with Van Morrison there. He does appearances on TV a lot at this point. He's on Saturday Night Live. And he plays piano, and uh, there's some arrangement credits on Ricky Lee Jones' first solo album. He tours with a fellow named Willie DeVille. And then for the 101 Dalmatians for the Disney soundtrack, uh, here we are again with great musicians doing Disney music. He does a really cool version of Cruella DeVille. In the late 80s and in the early 90s, he hooks up with those uh, all-star bands that Ringo puts together. Yes, that Ringo. And all of a sudden you have a band where Ringo's the drummer and your two keyboard players are Dr. John and Billy Preston. Oh, the other drummer's Jim Keltner. The bass player is Rick Danko. The horn player is Clarence Clemens from the E Street Band. Uh, and John, you know, sticks with that for quite a bit through the 90s. 2005, of course, he is one of the leading musicians uh, raising funds and doing charity appearances for the Hurricane Katrina situation in New Orleans. And he does a nice version of Walking to New Orleans. Fats Domino had done it way back. Uh, and that was as part of a telethon to raise relief money for the folks in New Orleans and the folks through the Gulf area that were hit by Hurricane Katrina. He is part of a series called Live from Abbey Road in 2006, where he records a live session. And the guy just keeps working, keeps working, he keeps working. Uh, in July of 2006, he plays a solo piano show it's a benefit for a New Orleans musician uh, and the New Orleans Musicians Relief Fund. And this takes place in the intimate, lovely Black Orchid Theater in Chicago. And one of his special guests is one of my favorite bass players, Mike Mills from R.E.M. continues to do tv appearances he does the late night jimmy fallon show with keith richards in 2010 he goes to uh, the united kingdom plays at glastonbury he has a big role playing piano and doing arrangements for greg allman's 2011 solo record low country blues uh, the other producer on that one was t-bone burnett a great americana uh, musician uh Bruce Springsteen has often covered Right Place, Wrong Time. He's a big fan of Dr. John. It, like some of the other musicians we've talked about, he did have a heroin problem for a big part of his life. Uh, he did 
go through rehab for a final time successfully in the late 1980s. Uh, he was married twice, and he was fond of telling people in interviews that he had a lot of children. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, he was a big guy with a really humorous and outgoing spirit and a big heart. Well, I I like to think of what Louis Armstrong and also Duke Ellington said about music. There's only two kinds of music, good and bad. And <laughs> I would like to think of my music as being good. My late songwriting partner and myself, Bobby Charles, who just passed away, have consistently were writing songs about truths nobody wants to hear about. It's the most important thing from Jelly Roll Martin to the people like Buddy Bolden that invented jazz, on and on. All of our musical culture, all of our things that we gave to the world, we freely gave it all. And uh, Louis Armstrong was the only ambassador of the United States to the world. And I'm very proud to say I grew up in his neighborhood. And I feel very blessed that my father used to say, that's where Louis Armstrong was born. He never called him Louis, never called him Satchmo. Louis Armstrong was born. I've been in a right place, but it must have been a wrong time. My head is in a bad place, but it hasn't such a good time. I've been running, trying to get hung up in my mind. Just got to give myself a good talking to this time. Security. I've been in the wrong place, but it must have been the right time. I've been in the right place, but it must have been the wrong song. And in June of 2019, he dies of a heart attack. Um, his family made the announcement that he died at the break of day, and they issued a quote saying that John created a unique blend of music which carried his hometown, New Orleans, at its heart as it was always in his heart. Six Grammy Awards, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, Honorary Doctorate of Fine Arts from Tulane University in New Orleans, and his posthumous album, Things Happen That Way, Grammy nomination for Best Americana Album in November of 2022. Um, and also because we've talked about this uh, TV show, and this host is a big supporter and fan of great music, Dr. John had about 10 appearances on David Letterman shows over the years, performing with everybody from B.B. King to Christina Aguilera. Um, Letterman was a, a great supporter of great musicians and, and done so with such respect and reverence uh, during you know his TV time. And yeah, um, Dr. John did that show quite a lot. He did some of the Christmas shows as well. Uh, Silent Night, Merry Christmas Baby, that kind of thing. Um, he was everywhere, and everywhere he went, there was damn funky music that people loved. Dr. John, the Night Tripper. Shaggy Moofy now, hey. 
Well, if you don't like what the big chief said, you just shock and move me down here. Shock and move me down here. Shock and move me down here. If you don't like what the big cheese said, you just shock and both feet down here. Get my brother, 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 John is gone. Hey now, brother, 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 John is gone. You have Art Neville, 1937 to 2019. Charles Neville, 1938 to 2018. Aaron Neville, the man who looks like a linebacker and sings like an angel. If you want something to play with, go and find yourself a toy. Baby, my time is too expensive. And I'm not a little boy If you are serious Don't play with my heart It makes me furious But if you want me to love you Then a baby I will Girl you know I will Tell it like it is Don't be ashamed Let your conscience Be your guide That is just gorgeous And then Cyril The baby born in 1958 these guys originally came together. Um, some of the brothers had played in and out with a group called the Meters. uncle is a local legend named George Landry. He's nicknamed Big Chief Jolly. And if you are part of a musical community in New Orleans and Big Chief is part of your nickname, you're a pretty badass guy. Um, their first album, the debut of the Neville Brothers, comes out in 1978. And in the mid-80s, they hit a stretch. Um, they have a record called Brother John and then a cover of Ico Ico. They start to get a lot of play on kind of alternative or kind of more progressive uh, rock stations in Chicago. It was uh, WXRT that really gave them a lot of attention. And that's when I started hearing them again in the mid eighties, they put out a record called Uptown. And again, you judge them by the company they keep. 
the musicians that came looking to collaborate and have fun and play on this record, Ranford Marcellus, Carlos Santana, and our buddy Keith Richards. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love you. I love you, yes, indeed. Well, whoa, whoa, baby, I love you. I love you, yes, indeed. Boys on the battlefront. Meet the boys on the battlefront. Meet the boys on the battlefront. Running wild, chopper, tuna, gonna stomp some rock. Pretty, pretty thing that I ever see. Mighty grind in the night Follow that up with another incredible hit record called Yellow Moon. Part of this other period in the late 80s where the Nevilles get a huge boost in their popularity is appearing in a live New Year's Eve concert broadcast with the Grateful Dead. Uh, It's a national radio broadcast. There's a video of it that helps build the audience. They are really at this point, the New Orleans act um, that is, you know, active and living and still out there. Um, And then They've expanded into a second generation of the institution, which is fantastic. Because Aaron's son, uh, Ivan Neville, is a keyboard player. He's been in Keith Richards' band, The Expensive Linos. And then Art's son, Ian, who's a guitar player, are the founders of a band called Dumpstafon, which, like the name, yeah, they're good. They're funky. They're a good dance band. Uh, the brothers have disbanded and gotten back over the years. They did what they called a farewell concert in 2015 back home in New Orleans. And again, at this point, uh, Charles passed away from pancreatic cancer, and Art Neville uh, passed away the following year. He was 81. So, you know, we have uh, Cheryl and we have Aaron. And they're still with us. Uh, Neither one of them works a lot at this point. You know, they're older guys. They have entertained us for years. It's a stack of incredible records. And they're home in New Orleans, hopefully enjoying the food and going out and hearing other people's music. But yeah, the family, the institution, the Neville brothers. Uh, Yeah, I really agree with your description of Aaron Neville. 
I mean, he really, he looks like a guy that if you cross him, he's just going to choke you until you stop crossing him. But then when he sings, you're like, I am in the presence of greatness. I means more to me than any love could ever be for when I wanted you I was so lonely and so blue all but that what love will do darling I I realized that you were fooling me, darling. They say that our love won't grow. I just want to tell them that they don't know. Uh, like you, I've been fortunate enough to see the brothers a couple of times, and I was just completely blown away. I, I had listened to a bit of their music here and there growing up, but you know, I never really got deeply familiar and intimate with them until I saw them live. And for weeks, I just could not get that out of my head. And I did a deep dive, and I, I really went through all the the music. When I teach Zydeco dancing, I use the basic ingredients of cooking the gumbo, water, seasoning, meat, and root. Everything else that you're going to add to that is your shrimp, your okra, your neck bones, that kind of thing. But it still makes Zydeco. So nobody can't say because you're doing it this way that you're not Zydeco. main thing that you cannot forget, listen to the music, listen to the beat, feel the beat. And whenever you see somebody dancing, they're not really smiling. That's more of a serious, sober face, but they're just so into it. One may say to the other, are you having a good time? But if they're so serious into the dancing, they don't even say anything, they just do the finger like this. Yeah, they just all into the groove and they, you having a good time?
I think rice is one of the most underutilized starches that we have in America. There's so many varieties of rice that naturally taste different. All we have to do is really understand how to cook them. Now we have a couple of rices and we only have time to do basics. But this is a regular processed white rice. And when we cook it, we know it comes out nice and fluffy like this is, okay? Even if we don't wash it, it comes out nice and fluffy. Son of a gun, we'll have big fun on the bio. Jumbo line, a crawfish pine, a feely gumbo. Cause tonight I'm gonna see Mama Shazamio. How can a simple thing, an everyday thing like red beans become famous? And they really have. I mean, in our culture here in Louisiana, this is most one of the most favorite and one of the most famous things we have. People come from all over the world to eat our red beans. Why? And it's basically because of our cooking methods and that we understand that if you leave the starch in the bean after it's cooked, then it, you won't get a good taste out of it. This starch is bland. It's like sticking your finger in flour and putting it in your mouth. What it's going to taste like? I mean, it's going to be just be sticky and very bland. So you need to get the starch out and you need to flavor it. Let me show you how we're going to flavor it. We take onions, bell pepper, and celery, which also on their own are very famous as the Holy Trinity, and you take herbs and spices and put in with it and cook it until it becomes this color. Now once it's this color, it's developed a lot of sweetness and it really tastes good. Today's recipe comes from allrecipes.com and was submitted by Matt. Matt, wherever you are, not all heroes wear capes. This New Orleans red beans and rice is just like what mom makes. I recommend cooking it the day before you want to eat it. It is a time-consuming recipe and the taste gets even better after 24 hours in the refrigerator. For extra spice, add a splash of hot sauce. For this one, you're going to need one tablespoon shortening or as needed, one white onion chopped, one green bell pepper chopped, three cloves of garlic chopped, eight cups of water, one pound of dried red beans, one smoked ham hock, one pound smoked sausage cut into bite-sized pieces, two stalks of celery chopped, two bay leaves, one tablespoon Creole seasoning, such as Tony Chancery's, a half teaspoon of dried sage, a half teaspoon of dried thyme, one dash of hot pepper sauce, such as Tabasco, or to taste, optional, and three cups of cooked white rice. The directions. Step one, melt shortening in a skillet over medium heat. Cook and stir onion, bell pepper, and garlic in hot shortening until tender, five to seven minutes. Step two, combine water, red beans, and ham hock in a large pot. Bring to a boil. Stir onion mixture into pot. Add smoked sausage and celery. Return to a boil. Stir bay leaves, creole seasoning, thyme, and sage into boiling water. Reduce heat to low, cover the pot, and simmer until beans are tender, about five hours. Step three, remove and discard ham hock and bay leaves. Stir in hot pepper sauce and serve over white rice.
Cinq fois par an Demandez la charité Quand même qui s'aime patate Une patate des gratons Hello I'd like to remind you to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. Six is spelled out. You can also search us uh, on Facebook as Six String Hayride. Or what we'd really appreciate you doing is finding us on Patreon under Six String Hayride as well. Well, folks, thanks again for joining your hosts, Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley on the Six String Hayride Classic Country Podcast. We are here for all of your classic country, rockabilly, early rock and roll, little gospel, little blues, a lot of excellent country music themed recipes. And basically, we are here to keep your musical circle rocking bopping and very much unbroken so thank you for sticking with us we will see you down the road real soon and again whether it's in your home in your community wherever it is you do your thing keep your circle unbroken stay well stay safe and we'll see you real soon I'm gonna join the family circle at the throne No, the circle won't be broken By and by, Lord, by and by Remember, the force will be with you, always.